Welcome to the Modern Woodworkers Association, a podcast about woodworking from folk who woodwork. Woodworking is what we do, who we are, and what we like to talk about. So join us as we have a drink, sit around, and talk woodworking. Hi, welcome to the 183rd episode of the Modern Woodworkers Association podcast. I'm Kyle Barton, and I'm here with my co-host, Diami Plotke of the Penultimate Woodshop. Tonight, we're talking to Paul Jackman. So, Diami. Hi, Paul. How are you doing? Hey. How are you guys? Good, good. So, Thanks uh, for having me on. Oh, no problem. Thank you for uh, coming on. So, I guess, first off, uh, what's in the shop? What's going on in the shop, uh, should I say? I made a gate. I saw that. Yeah, that's uh, that's about it. I've just been continuing to work on the fence. It's been a couple hours here, a couple hours there, coming from the rain, um, not setting the world on fire in terms of the pace, but it's slowly making progress. Yeah, well, I like. Uh, I think I made a comment on your on your Instagram post. I like the uh, corner reinforcement brackets you put in there. That's a good idea. Yeah, it's it's the it's the hardware itself. It's like easy gate hardware or something. It's it's mm-hmm. I got it at Home Depot, and it it's the, two of them have the hinges attached. And I'm I'm mixed as to whether I like that or not. I think I might have preferred separate hinges, but it is what it is. Um, but it's it's nice because it's these steel plates that are welded together, and they have these diagonal gussets. It says you don't need any diagonal supports. The gate's like 44, 45 inches wide, so I did put a diagonal support in. I figured, well, how could it hurt? Um, mm-hmm. But it, they say you don't, and you know we'll see. But it, I think I'll at least get you know a bunch of years out of it. I don't think I'm gonna have to um, you know. It, is, it doesn't seem to be the kind of thing where after two years of use, it's all beat up. So hopefully it lasts. It looks pretty solid. It, think it should be. Uh, two yeah. by fours and stainless steel it should do it. Now, what's the, now, is this replacing anything or is it just are you building a new fence? No, we had a, uh, we had a four-foot um, – it's like an ornamental stockade fence – and this mm-hmm. is this is the fence that runs between the side of my house and the side of my yard. So it's a little this particular run it's like 32 35 feet something like that. And um so we had this 4 foot high fence that was in pretty bad condition, but it was there and we kept patching it and the patches were ugly as hell. I knew it needed to be replaced. But what finally got us uh to stop and replace it is that our dog looks at a four foot fence and says oh there's not a fence and just flies over the damn thing <laughs> um and i've spent much of the winter taking the four foot chain link fence that surrounds the backyard and raising it to be seven foot high by adding more fencing above the existing fencing um mm-hmm. but it's ugly as hell and it's kind of hidden in the woods and it's not that big a deal but i wasn't going to put that on the front of the house so we're we've tore down the old fence and now I'm putting in what will it will be a six foot high um, kind of an ornamental stockade style of fence. It's um, it's not the really cheap stockade though. Fencing is more expensive than it should be, but um, they're they're flat one buys. They're like probably a one by four, and they've got little scallops near the top. So it's nothing nothing too fancy, but um, but that's what's going to go on there. And because I was an idiot and wasn't thinking about my gate layout when I was setting the second post. The second post is like an inch and a half too far away from the first post. And mm-hmm. because I want full slats at the hinge, um, I it's too far away to use the pre-assembled fence sections. 
So I'm staring right now on the my my benchmate table that I constantly drag out in the driveway to work on. It's in the driveway right now, just outside of the garage, with a citronella candle on it, keeping me bug free. Um, <laughs> but it's stacked with four, uh, four of the pre-hung sections of fence that I completely broke down, and it's these big piles of fence slats that I now have to nail on to the structure that I've built. Yeah. Well, I remember when you were digging those posts, how you just used traditional uh, post hole digger, correct? I did. So what's the composition of your soil? Here, that would be unheard of because we're I'm sitting on clay and that's about it. No, it's it's pretty good. I have to worry about roots, okay. but okay. Uh, the, but it's 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 just uh, it's dirt and sand. It's it's pretty loose. So I actually had to dig a little bit out near the top with a regular shovel so that I could clear it with the post hole because it was so deep. The holes are about three and a half foot deep. Yeah, um, but it, it yeah, that's was, what I saw, and I went, you know, there are machines that do that for yeah. you. <laughs> it, was, it was five posts that I dug out over three different times, so it, yeah. I, I know I could have done that, but it's just it didn't seem to be worth it. I have a postal digger; I figured just use the damn thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I was wondering because that would be yeah, in my area of the country. No, yeah, <laughs> that's a, nobody a character a character building exercise. There, <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> What's going on uh, your your neck of the woods, Kyle? How's your chair coming along? Um, it's coming. Um, you know, I took the uh, the Chris Williams class at uh, Lost Art Press. Excuse me, why I dropped some names, but um, anyway, so I got back from that. So I had to, uh, you know, that was a good solid, you know, five days of eight hours a day woodworking, which I don't usually do. It's usually more of a sometimes couple an hour or two in the evenings and on weekends. So when I got back in the shop, I got everything unloaded, got ready to get back to work. And then, um, when I went down to, uh, you know, you know, put the chair together, cause basically mm -hmm. come home with parts, you know, everything has been dry fitted, but then I still need to do some final refining and then start assembling the chair. And, um, the first thing I said is, you know, I made this mini Dutch tool chest, I don't know, nine months ago. And that thing has just been carted from one flat surface of my shop to another flat <laughs> surface of my shop. So I said, okay, I got to take a few hours and just put together a little s table for that, a little stand for that. So I did that, and um, that was actually kind of fun. It only took a few hours, got it together. Um, I don't know if you saw the post, but it's kind of a unique uh, stand. It's basically made out of two-by-fours and uh, three-quarter-inch material for, for stretchers, and it's just pocket screwed together. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I saw this first on the New Yankee Workshop back in the day. But I know I built two of these Like when I first got into woodworking. They survived floods in my shop and all kinds of things, so... Um, and they're still solid, but of course this one I, I did, you know, I took some time with the two by fours and went ahead and ran them over the joiner and planer and made them nice and square no. and, um, just, uh, just put that together. But what's unique about that is the legs are oriented 90 degrees to each other. I was so, going to ask that. So yeah. they're, they're two by fours, but they're, right. that's one and a half by three and a half. So they're probably like one and a quarter by three and a quarter by the time you've milled them, something like that. That's something like that. Yeah. Okay. So. Let's say the back two are running with the long side side to side, and the front two are running with the long side front to back. Correct. Correct. Yeah, exactly. So what that ends up doing is it makes it a little complicated on your stretchers because you only got 
two sides where the stretchers are the same length. Mm-hmm. So the, if you think, uh, look at those at the sides, then your front and back stretchers are going to be of different lengths because of the orientation of the legs. But what I found is it makes a little table about a hundred times more sturdy. I mean, I can get really? up there and stand on it, jump on it. And, uh, yeah, it's really sturdy. In fact, um, when I had the last flood scare in my shop, one of the tables I made back in the day, when I mean back in the day, probably 2007, um, you know, I actually put my, um, I don't know how much that thing weighs, probably about four or 500 pounds joiner on top of one of these tables. Oh, wow. Not a problem. Okay. Yeah. Now, <laughs> yeah. Let me ask Just you one more question. On and boom. <laughs> yeah. One more question about the table is I'm looking at your picture of the Dutch tool chest on it. And yeah. it looks like there's, what, five-ish inches in front of the tool chest? Yeah. What's that left yeah, just, for? Uh, just so I can take stuff out and set it down. If um, um, Because of the lower part of the storage, which is kind of like a little open compartment, if I got stuff in there, it's an easy way to you know, you oh. know know dig something out from the back and just put it there, and then I can does, put it back in. Does that lower section, is that just a removable door on the mm-hmm. cabinet? Yeah. So you yeah. need somewhere on this table to hang the door. Yeah, I have done that yet that's the next step i, I kind of looked at stuff and going okay you know i'd actually need to put a little uh some sort of little fixture on the actual door itself so i can just hang it on the side but yeah uh for right now it works it in fact it'll actually rest on that little ledge in front so that's may just do that too you know but um but no it's you know that that was a lifesaver and then i finally got back to doing the chair and i really cleaned up all the uh le- Legs and the uh, stretchers for the legs on Saturday and a little bit on Sunday, and then uh, was able to glue the um, the undercarriage together and you know leg it up, put the legs into the seat, and that's really where I am. Haven't had a chance to get back to it yet. I still need to uh, clean up the um, uh, spindles for the um, arm and and um, and crest rail and uh, shape the crest rail and probably do a little bit more refining on the arms so at the speed i work probably two three weeks this thing will be together <laughs> that's still pretty good i mean yeah yeah and then uh and then you know i'll be on to the next project which will probably be some other chair <laughs> <laughs> well you did a welsh chair. you're gonna you're gonna do a scottish chair next exactly exactly um yeah i really like the welsh chair um yeah i may build another one of those um, I did that, you know, kind of contemporary um, um, Velda's chair, which is a contemporary Windsor chair. And I have material for that, um, except I need to get some um, some walnut for legs and stretchers. Um, but I have most of the material for that. Well, the most important thing, which is a seat, which is butternut, which is hard to get sometimes, especially in this area. But uh, so I may need to move on to that. But I got a suit co-commission to build some bar stools so i think the next thing i'm going to do is do a bar stool real quick uh kind of a mock-up of a bar stool and uh see if my friend likes it and um settle up on some stuff yeah all right well you got a lot to beat there jack paul i know it (laughs) (laughs) can i call you paul jack jack paul yeah all right let me i'm sorry i have to stop right now let me just ask before we get into what you're doing because what has tongue-tied me here is Jackman Woodworks, um, but it's Paul Jackman. Yeah, I don't know so why Jack- that 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 stumbles me. Yeah. So I I do Jackman's understand your name is Paul. Name, I'm sorry, I- but I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I get called Jack all the time. It doesn't matter. 
I've I've gotten called worse things. So. <laughs> the YouTube comments are a lot more brutal than just calling me Jack. <laughs> uh, but what are you working on? I'm feeling pretty lazy now after listening to to all that, man. Um, I'm I'm in between projects right now. I just wrapped up a uh, a build. I'm not really sure what to call it. It was like countertop sections with an inlay in it. Um, they're they're kind of like table leaves, but they are. Uh, built to sit on top it's like straddling uh, a half wall in my in my buddy's house so he's he's got a kind of a small place without much countertop space um so there's these three sections that sit together and sit on top of his half wall so he can kind of they they tuck away in the closet and he can pull them out when he needs them okay. and give him some extra countertop space and uh yeah it's got kind of a cool design aspect to it with a, a compass inlaid in the top. Okay, I saw the compass inlaid. I didn't realize that's what it was going in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so I that was that was yeah, I uh, CNC cut in a couple uh, a couple of stages because it was so big. So it was a little bit more complicated than I had expected. Did you? Yeah, have- I watched the video on that. I got a question. So um, I forgot. You know, to excuse me, but. I know you used a torch to burn in some of the design, but you put some sort of, uh, I forgot what it was, on top of the material, on top of the wood before you yeah. burned it. Uh, you know, what does that do? You know, I've seen a lot of the new, you know, I think Chris Schwarz and a few others have started, you know, this Japanese technique of burning wood, and I forgot what it was called. Um, so something. But anyway, yeah. I, I was kind of curious about about what this did, I think the the uh, liquid you put down, I think it's some sort of acid or something like that. Yeah, so it's called ammonium chloride, and it's okay. a, a powder that you mix in. You kind of dilute it in water, and then you can paint that on the surface of the wood. Mm-hmm. And it causes a, a chemical reaction when you heat it up. You can just use a heat gun that gets it hot enough. And that surface that you paint with the ammonium chloride will burn before the dry wood surface so you can kind of selectively burn certain portions of the wood which is what i wanted to do with the compass there was like certain sections i wanted to burn and certain ones i wanted to leave raw Uh, Mm -hmm. that's pretty cool you can do uh stamps with that too like you can fill a stamp pad with the ammonium chloride solution and you can stamp the wood and then burn the wood to get that pattern revealed uh so it's a a cool technique oh that is cool interesting yep yeah, if I, I ended up using the uh, the propane torch just because I was uh, too impatient, but <laughs> <laughs> it, it worked anyway. I just needed a little bit more sanding to fine tune it, but the uh, the heat gun works really good. That's really intriguing. With the heat gun, I'm assuming that you're much less inclined to accidentally burn the part you haven't put the um, is ammonium chloride. You said, yep, yep, um, exactly, exactly. So the heat gun won't burn the regular material unless you like really hold it on there. Right. So it's, it's really easy to, uh, to do it right when you just use the heat gun. Okay. It, to get back to cutting it on the CNC, you said it was a couple of different stages cause it was so big. So it was bigger than the workable field of the CNC. Exactly. Yeah. So luckily the countertop was broken up into three sections. So what I ended up doing is I cut two sections at once and then the center of the compass rows I could use as a reference point. Mm-hmm. And after the first cut, I took off the first section and then the middle section just got slid over one position. And then I could install the third section up on the CNC 
and clamp that all in place. And then I zeroed out the CNC on the center of the compass rows and then continued the cut. So I had two separate tool paths okay. for the, the two different cuts, but then I could continue that cut and that was seamless because it was all zeroed off at the same spot. That was going to be my question is how you managed to get the, the, the get them you know, lined up properly. I, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, I was <laughs> I was pretty nervous because it it was uh, quite a few hours just preparing the blanks and getting them ready to cut. So you hit that button once and you can uh, you can screw it up pretty good. Did you do the first <laughs> of the cuts in the finished piece? Uh yes, I did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't really have much of a choice. Um, I did a couple of test cuts just to make sure that it looked looked good and, and got the right width on the because I use a V bit, mm-hmm. so I had to make sure that the, the right width came out and that. Uh, Made me confident enough, I guess. <laughs> I was probably too overconfident, but it worked out, so I got lucky. Yeah, it sure did come out nice, very nice. So, uh, so is your friend using it yet? Not yet. I just shipped it out to him today. Okay. All right. Cool. So cool. So definitely post a uh, photo on my Instagram once he gets it installed, so people can kind of see what I'm talking about because it's hard to explain it. And, yeah, because uh, yeah, it looked kind of unique about the space it was going into, like is purpose built for just i think you said when he has like you know folks over for a party or something like that and they can store it away or just use two sections or just one section or whatever they need yeah yeah so it's yeah. kind of adaptable to whatever he wants because the the house is set up kind of weird the half wall is there because it it's a stairwell that goes down to the basement so that whole area is just kind of wasted space mm-hmm. okay I, I see i see that makes sense hmm. well well, really unique, and I I saw you stuck uh, uh, magnets in there too to keep the pieces together. Yeah, yeah. So installed. just some uh, three yeah. quarter inch rare, rare earth magnets, just a couple of pairs, and uh, that'll keep them from sliding apart. Well, cool. Well, cool. But other, otherwise, it just sits there and, and straddles the wall, and the, there's a notch around the entire uh, perimeter, okay. and that holds it in place. And then the the magnets hold the three sections together, and that's it. Well, good. Well, so what's your next project? I'm not sure. Um, I'm kind of in between stuff. I got a couple of picture frames that I want to make. Um, just a, kind of a couple of cool visual concepts I want to play around with. And a, uh, a kitchen island is a little bit bigger of a build that I got coming up uh, probably a little bit later in the month. Picture frames would be nice. <laughs> I need some ideas for picture frames. My, one, of the, one of these days, my wife's just going to murder me in bed because we have all these pictures that I promised to make frames for and have never gotten around to it. Staple yeah. one to the back <laughs> of the chair and say it's hung. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, way, ways to make picture frames quick and easy. Um, uh, I'm, not, I'm not too good at quick and easy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> are you going to laminate a bunch of uh, pallet scraps and make frames out of them? Or what are you going to do for frames? <laughs> you're not, you're not far off. <laughs> I know. Um, if, if you look back in my Instagram, uh, it was maybe a few months ago. I was playing around with a power carved picture frame and I actually used plywood just cause I had some, some scraps laying around and it was just a test frame. I don't actually even have anything to, to put in there. And, uh, it's just like this, uh, this wavy pattern where Mm -hmm. I I carved along both sides and, uh, you kind of have to pitch, see the picture to, uh, to see what I'm talking about, but it's kind of a, a cool visual and I I burnt one half of it. So you can kind of see the, the contrast between the, the burnt wood and and the raw wood just in, Mm -hmm. in the, in the wave pattern. Okay. 
So I think I might, that was just a test. And I think I might try and do that for real and, and use, um, I don't know, pallet wood or something like that. Some nice, <laughs> nice reclaimed piece. Yeah. Now, now what gravitated you towards using a uh, uh, pallet wood or other reclaimed wood? I know you use that a lot in your projects and it really makes it interesting. Um, I guess, uh, design element to the projects. Like, uh, like I, I guess it's pretty much uh, very popular at this, at this stage. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fairly popular, uh, search term and all that. So that definitely helps mm-hmm. me out. Um, a couple of big reasons, like you kind of mentioned already is it's very unique. So, um, just by its nature, it's a very non ideal material. <laughs> so there's not mm-hmm. a lot of people, a lot of people using it. And, and thus it kind of, it always lends itself to a unique finished result. Um, so a, a lot of people can buy, lumber from a lumber yard and, uh, you know, get the same results from, from that lumber. Cause it's all pretty uniform. Right. And if you're, you know, tearing apart pallets, you never know what you're going to get. So you always get a very unique finished product that, that always, uh, looks different from what anybody expects, including yourself. Um, now, how much time are you spending milling these, these, uh, the pallet wood, I guess it all depends on the project, but I noticed, uh, like your workbench, for example, I mean, it, that looks pretty nice, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you know, I have a pair yeah. of workbenches. They're outfit table slash workbenches. Yep. And total, I think it was 22 pallets wow. for the pair. <laughs> <laughs> so I am I think that was probably a solid day of disassembling and pulling nails and cleaning them up. And then probably another day of just planing them down to get a smooth surface. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if anybody hasn't seen them yet, the, the tops are all laminated from pallet slats. So it's kind of a rainbow of colors. It's a, a bunch of different hardwood species all just laminated together. And I basically just sent them through the planer until they were smooth and then toss them aside until, you know, all the all the other slats were smooth, kind of worked my way down to the thinnest one and then glued them all together as one big countertop. And uh, the base is made from some bigger uh, pallet timber. So they're entirely made out of pallet wood. Okay. Now, but it, it was definitely a big time commitment. For the sure. individual pieces for the, in those benches are not the full length of the bench, right? No. So the, the bench is kind of split in half. So there's two sections to it. Okay. So I, I think it's about three feet wide, which what I basically just maxed out the length of the, the pallet slat. So whatever okay. the, the width of the pallet was is how wide the workbench. See, I thought being. they were end laps in the lamination, but you just you, you limited it so that it, it maxed out what the pallet slat was. Yep. Yep. So it's just a single length across okay. the width of it. Okay, that makes sense. Now, how, that was that was back in Rhode Island, right? That was. Yep. So how it's been it's been moved. It's lived its whole life on the East Coast, where it's humid as anything. How does it yep. perform? Uh, it's done pretty good. I just recently flattened it. Um, it I never flattened it when I originally built it, but it was it was pretty good right off the planer. I. I I have a 13 inch planer, so I just kind of ran it through in four different sections and then glued those sections together. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty flat right off there. And um, recently flattened it when I built a bench vise uh, out of pallet wood, of course. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it, it, it wasn't too bad as far as, as being flat. Um, I think one of the benefits is, is there's so many pieces, and I kind of planned out uh, the pieces so that the grain was. Um, kind of uh, opposing with with every other piece. Oh, okay. Uh, the grain kind of opposes each other, so it, it stays pretty flat because it's uh, it's almost like an engineered wood material, mm. really. I'll tell you, even the engineered mm. wood, it'll shift on you if you're not too careful. 
Uh, yeah. And I built a lot of stuff out of timber strand and yep. the, the four giant pieces of laminated timber strand that are sitting in my shop right now, they're stickered because what I found was that when I stacked them directly on each other, the top one would potato chip. Um, really? and okay. by stickering them, I, it came right back to flat. So, um, I just need to keep the air, you know, balanced on them. It's not quite as bad as real wood, but even with all this engineered, you know, they're probably half glue, but they still, yep. uh, they'll still yep. move on you if you're not careful. Yeah. And it's humid where you are too. Yeah. Well, so probably all... about the same as where you are. Maybe you might be a touch more. Yeah. Yeah. DC is pretty, uh, pretty humid in the summer. It was a swamp, don't you know? Yeah. <laughs> I, I can feel it. <laughs> Half of Rhode Island is water too, so yeah. it doesn't help. So, so how are you like in D.C.? What, you've been out there a little over a year now or so? Yeah, it's been almost a year. It's okay. It's, okay. it's, it's a very busy place. Mm-hmm. And, uh, space is a premium. So I'm, I'm in a one-car garage right now. It's fairly cramped, but it is working out. So um, I'm happy with that because it's, it's uh, the garage with my apartment. So my commute is zero minutes, and I don't have to deal with D.C. traffic. So There's a lot things could be much worse. <laughs> yeah, it's, it gets pretty bad. <laughs> so. Well, so, so do you miss the old shop with the river and waterfall and yeah. all of that? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I – I think it it probably would have been not so bad if I moved from just a regular garage workshop to this one, but mm-hmm. moving from that Rhode Island shop, is, like anything, is a downgrade. Moving out <laughs> right. of that place. Yeah, yeah, it certainly it certainly did look unique, and I, I fell for you when you were moving. You, but you put on a brave face. <laughs> <laughs> as long as it looked good. <laughs> yeah, it, it did. It did. It looked good. And that brings me to another point. I really enjoy, um, you know. No, your videos. I mean, you have a very dry sense of humor, which I do too. And uh, I like some of the things you do on there. So it's, it's really entertaining. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I, I have a lot of fun with that and kind of working in the, uh, the editing tricks along with the, the dry humor is yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah. How the editing tricks. So, um, how long does it take you to do those? Oh, um, it depends on the video and yep. how complicated the project is, but I'd say, uh, I don't know. An average video is probably 10 to 12 hours of just like editing. Wow. And then wow. there's uh, graphic effects and stuff on top of that oftentimes as well. Wow. Uh, that's, that's a lot of work. Now I noticed you just passed what a hundred thousand YouTube subscribers. Yeah. It's funny. I, I just posted a picture today of the yeah. YouTube plaque and um, I, I passed a hundred K back in, I think October. Uh, mm-hmm. so they're, they're a little late to the party, but <laughs> <laughs> you, you are correct in saying that I passed a hundred K. So, that, okay. Yeah. I saw, I saw the pic on your Instagram feed. Um, yeah. I was just like, Oh, okay. Okay. Just passed a hundred thousand. So, uh, well, that, that's that, you know, congratulations, of course. Uh, they had to yeah, build that little belated. triangle for, for you from scratch. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, maybe yep. you should contact YouTube. Hey, I can build uh, awards for you. <laughs> right. I mean, I uh, that's the the new award is like a new style, and it doesn't have a frame on it. So that's kind of one of my ideas. Maybe I'll just build a frame for that thing. That'd be cool. Oh, cool. that's cool. Let me ask you to get back to the shop. Now, you, beyond its idyllic setting, the old shop was a bit bigger. So – in going to a one-car garage, now I say this, I'm in a one-car garage myself, but I've not mm-hmm. been in a bigger shop and I've just crammed this to the gills and I 
keep picking up tools even if I don't have space for them. Did you call through stuff and eliminate things? And if so, what didn't make it? How did did it did that process just frustrate you or did it kind of refine and focus what you were working with? Yeah, I somehow I I brought most of this stuff with me. There's not much that I had left behind. There was some materials and stuff that I kind of gave away, mm-hmm. uh, just logs and lumber and stuff that just wasn't worth uh, shipping uh, all the way down here. Um, but as far as tools and stuff like that, I brought basically everything with me. Okay. Um, I had a couple of duplicates, like I had a couple of planers, so I got rid of one of those. And uh, but mostly everything came with me, and it's just a matter of. Um, just being really, really efficient with the space. I built a, uh, I had a, an upper portion to a, a miter saw station that I built in the old shop. Okay. And I had kind of been planning out a, a base to it. Cause the, the shop that I had in Rhode Island had a, a workbench in there already. And I just built on top of that. So I figured whenever I move, I'll build a base for it. So okay. that was a year later <laughs> in, uh, in DC. And, uh, I've built that since. And, all of my smaller tools fit in this. It's a 12 foot long, just bank of, of cabinets. And it, I just planned that out really, really well. So everything fits in there. And it's just, it's all about a very efficient use of space. Gotcha. So you're not just coming up with these lollygagging Dutch tool chests that you just put wherever, like Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay. Yeah, my shop space is just a little bit bigger than a one-car garage, but, you know, yeah, I guess I, I don't know. It's all bigger in Texas out here. Exactly, exactly. Well, it's a three-car garage, but hey. <laughs> uh, anyway. I'm, um, I'm always limiting what, what tools I acquire anyway because my wife's in the military, so we move fairly frequently. Um, mm-hmm. So the less stuff that we have to move, the better. Right, you've so always got the next move lingering out there. Yeah, right. So I don't want a lot of tools just because I don't want to move them. Um, and then that's kind of just a side benefit of being able to fit it in a small space as well. I don't know if it's different for – it must be different because uh, I don't know if you know Steve um, Torch too. What's Steve's last name, Kyle? Steve. Um, yeah, that's Steve. Yeah, that's Steve. Uh, Damn it. Starts with the L. Well, he uh, – he got shipped. He he's a he's a contractor. He's not in the military proper. And okay. I know when he got shipped overseas, like I bought his planer off him. Um, I drove down to Virginia to pick it up, but I think they would have moved the planer, and he didn't want to move it. I don't remember. I know he was kind of scaling back to hand tools because he was getting shipped to Germany. Um, mm-hmm. But he had a pile of lumber that they were not willing to ship for him. But he built a bench out of it, and they were willing to ship the bench. Uh, <laughs> That's what I remember. I don't remember exactly what the dichotomy was of what they would or would not ship. But the finished piece, even though it was a workbench, they were more than happy to ship for him, but they would not ship him a, a stack of lumber. Very That's, interesting. Okay, that Steve. Yeah. Now I know who you're talking about. Uh, Steve Taylor. Steve Taylor. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Torch. On, Torch 2. Uh, Torch O2. Two. Yeah, Torch O2 on, on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah, he's... He's, he, yeah, I remember when he he had to make that move. He used to be uh, going to all the uh, woodworking American conferences with us and all of that stuff. And you know, except for Instagram, I really haven't been in touch with him. Besides, you know, commenting on his posts and vice versa. Mm. Yeah, I believe he's still over there. Yeah, I believe so too. Love, but they like went uh, full on. Like they were, they could have kept the house and just you know, but they sold their house. They got rid of the cars. Like they just, they were like, okay, we're going to Germany, and they were off. 
but seems to be working out for him. Yeah, yeah, it certainly does. Yeah, I don't know what I do in that situation going overseas because you got all the different power requirements too. Yeah, for the yeah. Now, is that a scenario oh, yeah. that you could face, or is it really just you're going to be moved around this country? I mean, it's uh, potentially it's less likely because my wife's in the Coast Guard, so okay. most of that is uh, is local to the U.S. Um, but there there are bases overseas, so you never know. <laughs> you pretty much go where they tell you to go. Yeah, at, at least yeah. At, at this point, because she's fairly new and uh, doesn't have a whole lot of say. Wow. So, yeah. So, so when do you when do you anticipate the next move, or or could it just come at any time? Yeah, it will likely be here for three to four years, but you never know. Uh, if she ranks up, uh, we could be out of here next year. So uh, you always got to be on your toes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, I'm in, I'm thinking about uh, moving here in about a year, but and my biggest dread is moving the shop. I got way too yeah. much equipment and stuff. And I, and I watched your video on the move, and I went – you know, and I kind of thought about that, about, you know, getting some of those uh, containers. I forgot what the you something you, you used. I forgot what they were called. Yeah, uh, UPAC. You pack, yeah. And uh, I was thinking about doing something like that, and uh, it looked like it worked out really well for you. Yeah, that was actually a really good setup. Um, yeah. with, with the military, there's kind of two options. They'll either move you or you can move yourself. And when they uh, they move you, you have a weight limit. And oh. <laughs> that weight limit does not factor in a full wood shop. <laughs> so what would happen if they, if we had them move us is, you know, we'd, we'd get the movers and that'd be great and everything, you know, they'd have these big dudes moving all the heavy stuff. But as soon as we hit that weight limit, we have to pay for anything in addition to that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when we're moving ourselves, we basically get reimbursed up to that limit and anything above is on us, but we already have the cubes and stuff. So it's not a big deal. Now, how do they know how much your stuff weighs? You uh, weigh the containers when they're empty. Oh, okay. And then okay. you blow it up, you can weigh yeah, it again. That makes they, sense. They do the math. Okay. So just, just to give you a data point, I find it kind of funny. They give us 8,000 pounds at my wife's rank right now for our entire household. Okay. And yeah. this last move to D.C., we had 12,000 pounds. So we were, what's that, 50% yeah. over. Right. As she ranks wow. up, does she get more weight? She does, yeah. So, <laughs> so that means that as she ranks up, I can buy more tools. Yeah. <laughs> it, that's, that sounds like a challenge right. to always be fifty percent more than whatever she's allowed. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> now, um, in the stuff that you're making, we talked about how a lot of it is is pallet, but in terms of what it is, as opposed to how it's made, is it mostly? You're just building what you want to build. You're building things that are, you know, quasi and full um, projects for customers, like this table or quasi table or whatever we're going to call this this thing with a uh, with a compass for your for your friend. Or is it sponsors direct to what you're building? How do you determine what you're going to make? Yeah, it kind of depends on the project. Um, I'm right now. I'm kind of full time content creator, and I do a little bit of commission stuff. Uh, as well, and it's slowly transitioned from being strictly commissioned work and a little bit of uh, sponsored stuff, and and over time, it's kind of grown more sponsored, and and uh, because of that, I can take on very selectively uh, commissioned builds, or I can just kind of build 
whatever fits uh, fits my fancy or kind of whatever ideas that I have floating around in my brain. Okay. Um, so I'm I'm kind of lucky that that I don't do a ton of commission builds anymore. But if I do, it's it's the type where someone kind of comes to me and says, "I want you to build a table." And I'm like, well, what kind of table? And they say, well, I want a table. And I was like, okay, I can work with you then. <laughs> so you're, you're getting a table built out of pallets that's that's power carved into the shape of a leg or, or something like that. So, yeah. <laughs> so uh, who are your sponsors? Give you a chance to plug them. Yeah, sure. Carolina Shoe is a big sponsor of mine. They make uh, work boots. Um, mm-hmm. They have a factory in Pennsylvania, and, and they make some overseas. Um. They're they're a big supporter of me, and I've kind of uh, worked hand in hand with them to kind of build their their online uh, their online presence and in the the woodworking world and on social media and all that stuff too. And uh, let's see, Arbor Tech is another big supporter of me. The uh, the power carving tools. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you do and, a lot of carving. I noticed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm really getting into yeah. that. I'm I'm fairly new to it, but I uh, I've been enjoying that a lot, and it's it's a lot of fun and. Throwing sawdust is always a good time, and we've done a couple of the woodworking shows together, and uh, th- those are fun. Just a lot of the woodworking shows is kind of these guys with their hand planes and very quiet and, and older <laughs> generation typically, and uh, they <laughs> they like to stick me right by the front door, and I'm just like making noise and making a mess and pissing everybody <laughs> off, and it's a great time. Yeah, I'm I'm very upset that we we crossed paths while you were all the way up in New Jersey, and I I was that day driving home from Virginia. Um, yeah. But I, I was eager to see it because power carving, I found once you get, it's a bug. And once you get bit, you can't step away from it. Like I, I don't want to describe how much money I've thrown into power carving equipment and <laughs> just playing around with things. And I don't know about you, but I get into these projects where it's just like, it's just something that I want to do as opposed to all the other crap that I have to do for the house or the family or whatever. And yep. you just tweak it and you, you mm-hmm. sand it a little bit and you come back a month later and it's like, no, let me shape it a little bit more and you carve it some more and you, it never really gets finished and you get tens of hours into these silly little things, but it's so rewarding to do. It is. And, it, and it's just so easy too to just pick up the angle grinder and just kind of carve away at it little by little. And yeah. it's uh, the thing that I love about it too, is it's like very approachable and it's, it's something where you can kind of do a project from start to finish if you want to just with the power carving tools. Yeah. Uh, people who haven't done it, I think there's a lot of um, anxiety over it and people are afraid of that grinder, but mm-hmm. I, I think it's, it's one of the more approachable things. You just kind of have to let go and relax and enjoy it. Go, go gentle. You get a feel for the tool. Um, but it's not as hard as, as I think a lot of people think it is. Yeah. It's very tactile. I yeah. find. And, uh, mm-hmm. like the whole line of Arbor tech tools, they have, I think about a dozen tools in their lineup. Right. You can fit that all in like a big duffel bag. So even somebody that has like an apartment with a backyard, you don't even need a wood shop. You can just put that stuff in a duffel bag and just go out on the weekends and just carve down a log and, and make something out of it. Now, what's your favorite tool that they make for carving Arbitech? I am a big fan of the turbo plane, which okay. is kind of the, the workhorse of the lineup. It's the three and a half inch disc and it has uh, three carbide teeth around the perimeter of it. Mm hmm. And that just does so much stuff on its own. It, it, it's uh, the the teeth curve around the edge a little bit, so mm-hmm. you can kind of do edge carving, and you can carve the face of material as well. It kind of planes away the material versus like an abrasive disc that kind of just makes it into yeah, sawdust. Yeah, it actually throws off shavings as opposed to dust. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, cool. It, it just shaves it away, and and the way that it's built too, the 
the the very front edge of it is flat so you can kind of use it for template carving as well mm-hmm. so like dishing out seats or something like that on a chair yeah yeah i'm interested to give that give uh something like that a try on uh doing chair seats i i did buy their what was it their little ball gouge i found that on sale have that i haven't had a chance to play with it yet but that looked pretty interesting too yeah that's their brand new they just came out with that at the beginning of of this year and i got to play around with that a little bit too and that's fun that's uh it's it's a very unique tool and it takes a little while to get used to the the handling of, of it and everything yeah, yeah, that's one of the things I got to do as soon as we have a a nice cool day to get outside and uh, do that. So I'm thinking sometime in January. <laughs> <laughs> you could move to a place right. where you have seasons. Yeah, exactly. We have we have two seasons, hot and slightly not so hot. Yeah, Paul, have you tried their? Um, I, I'm going to screw up what it's called, but it's this tiny little sanding pad that fits on the grinder, and it's got some mechanism in it that makes it a random orbit pad. It's the, I think yes. they call it the contour sander. Yep, the contour sander. Yeah. I find that thing to be amazing. I Personally, I find the, the turbo plane a little bit more aggressive than I like. I, I started power carving with other tools that were a lot gentler, and yep. um, it's it's a beast. But the uh, that sander is, is amazing at getting all the grind marks out of stuff it's good for a lot of things too like i i haven't used it yet for a like a turning thing but i i can't wait to use it on the lathe because that's oh, something yeah. it's it's like a, a three inch long shaft that ho- mm-hmm. hooks onto the grinder and that'll like reach inside bowls and, and things like that and save your fingers from sanding in the inside of of uh, small pieces now do they but make I've, i'm sorry go on I've I've used that on like the the legs that I carved. That was super handy for oh. like the really steep contours, and it's uh, it does have like a random orbit pattern. Somehow the the bearing is like offset, mm-hmm. so it's not just orbital. It, it actually vibrates around a little bit as well. Yeah, it leaves so a you, pretty it, nice it works, surface. It does. Yeah, yeah, it works out the scratches. It's pretty impressive for for what it is. Does Arbortech make anything that fits on the end of a uh, like a Fordham or a die grinder, or their their stuff is really limited to the couple of specialty tools they have with the motor and everything all built together, and then everything else just fits on that what's a four or four and a half inch grinder? Yeah, I, I, they have I think two tools that have a built in motor on them. There's the power chisel, and which is kind of like a uh, I don't know it's a, it's a, a hammer. I, I don't know how to describe it. Um, it's kind of like a a hammer drill where you push in and it kind of chips away at the surface okay have you seen that yeah i've played with it at the the woodworking shows not not the one you were at but the one i went to (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) so the with those that there's changeable chisels that snap into what's essentially a grinder motor with a different head on it right yeah, exactly. It's the base of it's a, a grinder, but the the head mechanism is a little bit more complex than a lot of the others. So they just build it all together, so you don't have to to swap it in and out. Right. And the the chisels are just like a quick release with a button. And there's maybe a dozen different profiles. There's a like a V nose and a, a V nose and a, a gouge and things like that. And you can swap them out for different profiles. And it's the kind of thing where. The, the chisel's not really moving until you push it against the tool by, by pushing it into the wood, and then it kind of gets tapped by the tool and it moves back and forth? Yeah, exactly. It's like a power hammer. That's what I was trying okay. to think of. It's, mm-hmm. it's a lot like that. So it doesn't do anything until you push down on it, 
and then it, it kind of pushes itself forward. But that's uh, that's very it's it's very nice because it's a very safe tool too because like you can even hold on to the chisel itself oh, okay. as you're as you're using it. You get to that much control. Really, yeah, yeah. It gives oh you wow, so much I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah. You can really hold on to it and and do curves and all sorts of different cool shapes with it. But yeah, it's, I mean to answer your question, it's that, and then there's a, a mini grinder, which is a a small like one inch disc that is kind of extended from the motor that's another built-in motor mm-hmm. and then the rest of the lineup is just attachments for the angle grinder they so make one more tool with a motor do they they make a i don't know why they make this but we have one at work and it's it's really fun they make a concrete cutting saw <laughs> oh yeah 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 the uh the as really? yeah it's it's <laughs> absolutely phenomenal it's an amazing tool um but i don't know why they make it <laughs> It, so the the storyline behind that is it was originally designed to be like a safe alternative to a chainsaw. So basically what it has on the front of it is two oscillating uh, cutters on yeah. the front. And they, they kind of move side to side next to each other. And it's kind of become a, a tool that a lot of masonry restoration companies use mm-hmm. for repointing brick. So they, yep. they take out the mortar using the, the reciprocations because it doesn't kick up so much dust like a, a grinder would. You could also change the bits and do square-edged plunge cuts into masonry, which you can't do with a grinder. Yeah, so like cutting wow. out electric boxes and stuff. Exactly, exactly. It's, it's, it's impressive. Yeah. And it cuts through. We use it. We've used it on a lot of brownstones where we have to cut the the parapet walls and stick up through, and it'll cut through hundred year old masonry like butter. Like it's just you yeah. just let rest the saw in, and on its own weight, it just cuts down through it. It's a really impressive saw. Yeah, the thing is ballsy. <laughs> someday I'm gonna take it home from work and use it to cut out my the step that sticks into my garage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't you? How many? Didn't you bring some stuff home from work? I, I use. I was trying to use my hammer drill, but I have a seven eighths hammer drill and it it yeah. was not getting it done and then uh i had some chisels and stuff but no i think that's i don't want to bring a big masonry saw in here it just it'll be a bloody mess so i think i think the uh the arbitech saw should be able to cut this out but so it's buried under so much crap now i can't even see the steps so yeah. it's going to be a project to just get the step cleared out that i can right. cut it out right so so you said this this uh what's turned uh, masonry saw was originally designed to be a safer chainsaw so is anyone using it for a chainsaw i don't know because they're not really marketing yeah. it at that because it's become such a cool masonry tool right. and so useful okay. for that market i don't think they um, make in, in my research for blades for it because we have like five or six different blades to cut in different patterns and stuff i don't mm-hmm. i don't remember ever seeing a blade for wood hmm. yeah I'm, I'm not sure if that's on the market or not I think that might have just kind of fallen by the wayside for now, at least. And um, that might be, they're based out of Australia. So that might be a product that's for sale in Australia, but not in the States. Mm. Um, But I don't know. I I have a feeling it's probably kind of just uh, got pushed to the back burner, at least. And and they're kind of focusing just on the masonry stuff at this point. Yeah. Well, if they got a niche and it's popular, yeah, why not? Yeah. 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 And there's like a bunch of new OSHA regulations, too, as far as silica dust and things like that. Yes, there are. And... Mm -hmm. This this them? tool is like prime for that. Oh wow, that's that's good. That's good. So um, so you're not. Uh, are you uh, sponsored by Syracuse by chance? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> <laughs> I, I should start charging them for sure. 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. I was, it, I was wondering. So, so I assume you went to Syracuse, or uh, just a big fan? I went to Syracuse. Yeah, I graduated okay. in uh, 2013. Okay. Yeah, it okay. it fits in with the the color scheme, so it gets a pass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did the color well, scheme come from it, or did you decide on your college because you needed something that would fit into the orange scheme? <laughs> it it kind of just all uh, just a, a happy accident. It uh, all kind of fell together. I. Um, I bought a, a orange Honda Element back in high school. Okay, and that uh, I don't know if that's why I chose Syracuse, but I chose Syracuse, <laughs> and that was orange as well. And um, they're called the Orangemen. I have to go. Yeah, yeah. no. <laughs> I was like, I, I can't drive this car to any other school. I got to go there. And uh, I, I was originally my moniker was Jackman Carpentry, and that was something I started in high school. Oh. And that, that had a, an orange logo along with it, too. And, it's, and did uh, that come before of, the, the element? Um, I'm not I'm not sure. I think the element came first, actually. Okay. So we have and then the logo and then, and then Syracuse. <laughs> let, yeah. let me ask you a really poignant woodworking question. Now that they don't make the element, what are you ultimately going to get? I am babying that element <laughs> as much as I possibly can. <laughs> I, I'm I'm lucky right now because I commute zero miles yeah. every day. <laughs> it's amazing and, how long cars last when you don't use them. <laughs> I know that thing does not get started up for like a week or two uh, at a time, and uh, it's basically exclusively just for lumber runs or just hauling material and pallet pickups. Okay, and uh, it it needs a lot of work right now, and I'm trying to decide if I want to dump the money into it or. Uh, look at something else but there's really nothing else to replace it there's with. nothing like that it was yeah. a it was a really unique vehicle yeah mm-hmm. yeah and i i looked around like at everything and basically the only pseudo replacement is a minivan yeah i, I was thinking like a ford transit yeah even even those are uh i don't know they're okay <laughs> it's, it's not the element but it's it's no. still it's the, yeah. just an empty it doesn't box have the, it doesn't have the versatility of, of the element yeah. Well, staying in that, have you seen the Honda Ridgeline, the new redesign of that? I have. I was intrigued by that. Yeah. Um, it's not an element, but it's it's not bad <laughs> for what it is. Yeah, it kind of looked to me, hey, if the, uh, uh, you know, if some of the uh, cars of old, the old, uh, what was it, the Ford Ranchero and uh, things of that nature would have stayed around, they would probably look now like the Honda Ridgeline. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Have you guys ever seen the the B one Bollinger? It's a, a new. No, it's it's a it's basically kind of a cross between a Land Rover and a Ford Bronco, but it's a full electric oh. SUV work truck kind of thing. Hmm. And Bollinger is is a brand name like Ford or Honda, and it's like this new development this guy's putting together, and um, it it looks pretty promising. I don't know. Is that the thing that like has a ton of storage in like the sidewalls of the of the uh, of the pickup of the I guess bed of the truck? Uh, kind of. It's okay. It's got an, an I think I might have seen it. Yeah, it's got an electric motor, so that's all built under the car. So yeah. under the hood, there's nothing. It's empty. So mm-hmm. the way they have it set up is you can open up a passageway between where the passengers sit and the front hood of the car. So you have like a 10 foot yeah. clearance or something to just stick lumber all the way from the back of the car to the front of the car. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have seen that now. Yeah, now that now that you reminded me of that, yeah, I did see that. Yeah. Uh, what do they want for that? I don't know, but they're not cheap. <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw some numbers at one point and I kept moving. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's probably Tesla uh, Model S territory or higher, I would yeah. imagine. Yeah, yeah I, think, wow. I think it was something like that. But it, it has like the back seats that fold up to the side, just like the element. And it's got the, the hard floor, just like the element. So it's uh, it's calling my name. But <laughs> so I, what I think we've concluded from this discussion is that you need to just put the money into the element. I, that's pretty much what I've decided yeah. at this point. But. Yeah, that's that thing is uh, 2004, so it's a 14 year old car. Wow! Mm-hmm. But that thing has been ticking like no problem since I bought it in 2008. Well, There's nothing to complain yeah. about. Yeah. So it's, it's the only car I've ever owned. So. <laughs> that's, that's oh man! Not, yeah. You can't give that up because once you give that up, you'll always be dreaming about it. I know. Yeah, it's it's like a trademark yeah. too at this point. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. If worse, you know, just put it up on blocks outside. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, but uh, yeah, that that yeah, that's one of the things I'm looking at too is getting a new vehicle uh, one of these uh, one of these days. And I have been tempted by that uh, Honda Ridgeline. Kind of looks interesting. The only thing I don't know, I think you can actually transport a poor bait. Shoot a plywood in there, but it's going to be hanging out the back to yeah. some degree. But it looks like it's doable. How often do you transport a four by eight sheet of plywood in your car now? Um, a few times a year. You know, uh, mainly I get the you know if I'm you know to be truthful, I'm getting those five by fives of the uh, Baltic birch uh, plywood when I'm when I'm doing some stuff. But if I'm doing some stuff around the house mm. or I'm building some um, shop cabinets, I'll get some of that. Um, uh, you know, three quarter, you know, five ply. Right. But for those plywood. couple of times yeah. a year, does it matter if it sticks out the back? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. But it's kind of nice when it doesn't <laughs> I feel more secure about it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it would be nice. I mean, yeah. I, I haul it in the element and it doesn't fit in width wise. So it kind of just sits at, in there at an angle and I just put a bungee cord behind it, which is fine, but not ideal. And uh, either it's either that, or if I get, enough thick material i just stick it up on the roof on the rack and just cross my fingers i put dimensional lumber in my roof rack all the time um Mm -hmm. like right now i have to make this trim for a skylight for a customer and i've got two pieces of clamshell casement molding and a couple of one by threes that are all the clamshells 12 foot long and the pieces all get dramatic shorter than that and they're all wrapped together in blue tape into one long board that yep. was what was strapped to the roof, and I just unstrapped it and brought the whole thing into the shop. Uh, I find that's the trick to dimensional lumber is wrap it in, in blue tape because you'd rather have one big thing than a lot of small things all flapping against each other. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but while this uh, this little tangent down woodworking vehicles has been fun, um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going to steer us back to <laughs> actually making things. Now, all right. the, uh, the, the big baseball chair you made – um, that's what you were carving at the woodworking show. So if I remember right, you glued up, uh, yep. p- segmented hemispheres, right? And then you power carve them into, into a, a true round shape. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So they were three foot in diameter, uh, domes, basically two pairs of them or, or one pair. 
Right. Two two now, of them. How did you maintain I'm assuming it's not perfectly spherical, but it's it looks to be pretty damn close. How did yep. you maintain that balance when you're you're power carving it as opposed to turning it on a lathe where it's going to be symmetrical? Sure. Yeah. So most of the work was really in the preparation for that one. So I I did a, a, a drawing and sketch up and kind of planned out the diameter of every single one of the rings. Okay. And from that, I, I cut the segments based on the diameter. And then once I glued them together, the steps of the, the segmented piece basically gave me a guideline to work against. Okay. So I, I carve until I hit that guideline between the two rings and I hit the low spot, and then I know that I've gone to to that point, and then I kind of move on, you know, around the whole the whole uh, circle, and and do that same thing, carved to the low spot. And if I do that around the whole piece, that gives me the shape that I need. Okay. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, luckily with a three foot diameter sphere, you kind of have a little bit of play and as far as it being completely perfect but. right right like I said, i'm sure it looks well i know it looks good i've seen i've seen pictures in the video of it but i'm, I'm also sure having power cover myself that if you actually get up there you you know start measuring it's gonna be like oh wow it's really not quite as round as i thought but yep. as long as it looks round and it feels round it is round yeah yeah it was good enough <laughs> <laughs> but i yeah, mean from did- from the the segments that gives you something to start from so that's kind of the whole the whole secret to the power carving is just giving yourself a pattern to kind of work from and just carve in from there. Yeah. And then you did that nice uh, seat detail where you saddled the front of the, uh, or the lower dome of the baseball. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's the first time I'd ever dished out a, a seat and it, <laughs> it was, it was on a giant baseball. So I can, I can, build, I can build chairs too, Kyle. There you go. I like your chair. So, so what, so what happened to that chair when you, when you, <laughs> So funny story that chair lives in Connecticut now. Um, oh. We we did that. Me and Arbortech did that together. It's just kind of a. It was kicking off opening day for baseball, mm-hmm. and uh, just kind of a big celebration and and just kind of a big fun project. And we did it as a giveaway. Mm-hmm. Um, so along with the YouTube video, we did a giveaway, and you just kind of threw your email in the bucket, and we did a random drawing. And a couple of people won like a turbo plane or a, a ball gouge. And then the grand prize was the baseball chair itself. And this guy in, in Connecticut got, got the drawing and uh, he was all excited about it, luckily. And <laughs> well, <laughs> he, uh, he actually wanted it and he was a Yankees fan and he was oh, a really good sport oh, cool. about it. And we actually went and delivered it in person. I was going to ask, dropped. how do you get the, how do you get a, it's a three foot wide chair. <laughs> yep. In the, <laughs> In the back of an element. Okay. <laughs> <That's> how- <laughs> wow. Wow. That, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Cause I wondered if it went, wound up at like, uh, you know, a baseball team or, you know, for, for heaven's sakes, Canton, Ohio or something like that. That would be, that would be fantastic too. Canton, Ohio. I, yeah. What's Canton? Baseball Ohio? Hall of Fame. Baseball Hall of Fame's in New York, buddy. What's Canton? Oh, football. Sorry. My, my mistake. My mistake. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. New York. I don't like I was, baseball, and I know that. So, okay, I I, I uh, default to football most of the times. So that's why I brought up Canton, but yeah, but but no. So so so, uh, have you got any requests or anything like that after seeing seeing uh, something like that to build another one? I had uh, quite a few people asking about that, and I uh, threw a number at it that 
<laughs> made it worth my while, and I haven't heard back from any of them. So <laughs> there goes that. It's amazing how long crap like that takes to make, and I, I, it, I don't mean if crap like that is probably not the right term to describe it because it's a really cool piece. Um, but by the time you design it and you glue the whole thing together and you, you carve it all down, you sand it, and you finish it, it's it's a lot of freaking work. Yeah, yeah, it was a a big time investment. I mean, most of the power carving was at the woodworking show, and that was a solid two days. And before that, the preparation was. I don't know, three, four days just to get the whole thing glued up. Right. Mm-hmm. So the time added up quite a bit. Have yeah. you, uh, are you familiar with the work of Wendell Castle? I am not. Okay. Yeah. You're, you're, you're still in my thunder. I was going to say, yeah, if Wendell Castle was a baseball fan, he might have built something like that. <laughs> <laughs> it would, but it would have been stack laminated, not ring laminated. But yes, yeah, would, uh, absolutely. it would have been stack laminated. You're exactly I'm looking right. at some photos now. I've seen some of his stuff before. Yeah. I didn't know the name. Um, yeah, you're yeah, he does. you're starting yeah, down died. that road, and I think it's a wonderful road to travel. <laughs> yeah, I could totally see myself doing some of this stuff. Yeah, I think he he passed away. What about a year ago or no, so? No, I think it was less. I think I want to say it was probably only about six months ago. I don't think it was. It is only ago. six months ago. Yeah, but yeah, he had this huge um, machine that he basically could. Uh, you know, once he got this stuff designed and stack laminated, it was kind of like a huge 3d CNC machine that would help him sculpt some of that stuff. Do you want me to tell you what he told me about that? What? Um, he did this style at the beginning of his career in the sixties and at Mm -hmm. the end of his career in the, in the aughts and the 2010s and whatever, wherever the hell we live now. Um, and initially he was the only one who could take a drawing and a scale model and translate it to the different laminations. Like, like you were saying before, Paul, where you're making each one, you know, at appropriate size. So it kind of acts as a guide and you're not removing more material than you have to. Yeah. Um, he, he was the only, even when he had people helping him, he was the only one who could do that and translate it into the different stacks he had to laminate together. And then once that was done, he would use, uh, you know, like power planes and sanders and chisels and any hand tool he could think of to to shape them. Um, whereas towards the end of his career, what they did was he would make a model and they would 3D scan it. And then the computer would spit out the different – it would slice it into layers and spit them out uh. so that they could then have plans and they would make each, each stack of the lamination to the plans the computer – spit out then they glue them all together and he had um one of the robots out of a car assembly factory and uh, is that a five axis? i think it's a five axis machine and he something had something like that yeah yeah he had a big um you know essentially a giant router at the end of it and the robot arm would go around and power carve it into a rough shape and then from there they would go, go again by hand to smooth the surface and finesse it and stuff but they would do the bulk of the work with this giant robot um, and he was talking about, um, he had no idea how to use the robot. Um, he had the vision that they could use a robot and he got a guy who worked for him to learn the software and figure out how to, how to run the robot. Um, but the robot itself, they got used out of an auto factory and it was only a couple thousand dollars if I understand right. But the software okay. to run the robot was like 75 grand. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's the way, that's the way it always goes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it was really neat to to see what he did with the robot um that he couldn't do by hand because he talked about things like because the robot 
um, because you were scanning things and then coming up with with printed plans for each individual lamination before he was really doing stuff to eye but now he could make it a lot more precise and all things being equal in a big flowing organic shape that precision is not necessarily needed but what this allowed him to do is make multiples for the first time and yep. mirror things so he would come out with like he wouldn't you know, when you're paying his prices for pieces, other people can't own the same thing. So he he really didn't make many multiples. But what he would do is he would design a nightstand and then make a mirror image of it. So you had one to go on each side of the bed and they were mirror images of each other. And it was just the exact same plan flipped. Um, whereas by by hand, he, he couldn't do that nearly as easily. So he, he let it use things like that. But um, I think that is... That's the ultimate, you know, when you take the the power carving to the nth degree, that's where you get. And it's, it's wonderful. Yeah. That's very interesting. Uh, Have you ever seen uh, a guy called Lignum on YouTube? Little bit. I know, I know of him. Um, yeah. So it's, it's kind of a, like a newer, a newer channel and he has one of those robot arms in, in his shop. And, uh, it's funny the first time you see it. Cause like he'll, he'll be building just like a regular chair or, or some, uh, fair, fairly normal project. And then you just see this cut and in the background is this giant robot arm just <laughs> sitting there and, uh, it, it just looks so out of place, but it's pretty cool when he uses it in a video. Yeah. Hmm. I haven't seen him. I'm looking him up now. <laughs> you want to see cool. Him? No, 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 no. I got it. Holy crap. He's got some interesting <laughs> stuff there. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, I think I need a, I think I need a bigger shop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just put it in the driveway. The neighbors won't mind. Yeah. I need a, a, a shop for my shop and then a shop for my robot arm. <laughs> well, okay. okay. If you need a second shop, is there anything cooler to put in it than a robot arm? No, I, I can't argue with that. I would give the the robot arm its own Instagram account and everything. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. What you should do is find the most mundane tool in your shop and like, you know, um, uh, a screwdriver or a tape measure. Just looking at the crap that's on my bench, something like that and give it its own account. Yep. And have all these forlorn pictures of it sitting like you're sitting <laughs> over it when it's in the corner of the shop into what you're doing and it's just sitting there lonely. No, no. Based on your previous comment, I think a hand plane, it can just be in the background or foreground and show all the stuff you're doing and stuff like that. That would be yeah. fantastic. <laughs> just looking all lonely. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> do you do much work with hand tools? Speaking of that? Uh, not not much. Uh, a not little much. bit just with block planes and things like that, but not any like dedicated hand tool projects. I mean, the, the closest I probably ever get is like a circular saw. <laughs> <laughs> understood. Understood. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm pretty much about 50, 50, I guess. I don't think I could ever give up. Uh, I could never do a full Shannon and give up my table saw and band <laughs> saw and all of that stuff. But, uh, yeah, but, a, a special kind of person for that. Yes, you do. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I find as I move more and more down this little niche I am to right now, my woodworking career, building chairs, I'm using less and less of the power tools and more of the, uh, hand tools. Well, yeah. Some of that, clearly the types of chairs you're making now are hand oh, tool hand tools made chairs. Specific. Yeah. You can't but, really make them with power tools. Well, you could, but are, it wouldn't. Let me it, ask you, it, 
actually would be more complicated. You've made a whole, oh, you would, but you've made a whole bunch of those chairs now that, you know, within that same vein, Mm -hmm. is it the chair style attracts you and you simply use the tools that are appropriate for the chair or the process of working with the tools attracts you and the chair is what you get at the end of it. Um, I think the chairs is what attracts me. And then I use the best tool that I can to, to do the chairs. What's, what's interesting is, you know, some of these, uh, uh, state chairs I've built. Um, I forgot what the side degrees are, but I think it was like three or six degrees that, that you needed to cut the sides to. Mm-hmm. And I first started doing that on, Hey, I, let me set that up. I have a, you know, uh, Festool MFT table. And so let me set that up. Let me get the angle out. Let me get the, the Festool saw. And then I thought, well, can I build a jig for the table saw to cut that? The last time I did it, I just did it on the bandsaw and then planed it down to the line. And that was the quickest and easiest way to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so some, so, sometimes, you know, I, I try to overthink things, but, uh, you know, there, there are some easier ways to do things. Um, you know, when you get into it, but, uh, um, you know, uh, sometimes the most, the traditional ways are the best. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of those designs are kind of built around the hand tools. So yeah, that's, that's probably the easier way to do it for a lot of stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of the, um, well, even today, a lot of things that are made outside of even furniture are based on the tooling. Like years ago, we had Clark Kellogg on the, on the podcast and at mm-hmm. the time, he was doing a lot of practice of hand carving, and he was talking about, I'm not a font guy, I don't know what font it was, but it was a traditional Roman font, and mm-hmm. the r- way they arrived on those particular shapes of the letters is that they were carvable, um, mm. and it, was, it could all be done with a V, uh, with a V gouge. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that on, in many levels, the... The, the piece at the end, whether it's a letter or a chair, is is a function of what, how it was made. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. The only thing I really haven't done is used any power carving techniques to do a, a, a saddled seat yet, but I'm very interested to give that a try. You should Just make to, a Welsh ch- yeah. stick chair with a big scalloped seat. <laughs> well, what I found out is actually the well stick chairs do not have that much of a saddling to them. It's more gradual than your typical American Windsor. What What if you juxtaposed like a big, thick walnut, like right out of a Maloof chair seat mm-hmm. and then stuck the components of like a Windsor into that? Um, similar ideas have been, uh, percolating in my head. So yeah, that's definitely something that, that you could do. And there are some designs out there that are pretty close to that. Are there? That, uh, yeah, yeah. There, there's some stuff that's very contemporary that you could almost see that one of the interesting aspects, even some Danish chairs have a lot of inspired, um, um, American winters in there. In fact, when the mid-century modern Danish chair craze started um it was based on some chair designs that the danes did but before they before these companies did those designs they actually imported a bunch of american windsors to study their construction methods and then came up with their own more Mm. modern interpretations of of it so anyway and i learned that from uh uh, caleb uh when he gave his presentation of woodworking in america i think he's a wealth of knowledge yeah he is 
Um, so, all right. Well, we could talk about uh, power carving seats and what you might want to do is power carve an element, but <laughs> <laughs> power carve seats hey, that... for my element. Yeah. Ooh, that would be interesting. Might not be safe, but it'd be interesting. <laughs> might... Exactly. Exactly. Um, but with that, uh, Kyle, you want to move on to the fortnightly beer choice? Sure. Sure. So, um, Tonight, I am drinking, and I might have mentioned this before on the show, but uh, I know I've mentioned that to you in person, but I'm drinking the Hopadillo, which is an IPA mm-hmm. from Carbock Beer Brewing Company, um, and uh, it's a local Houston craft brewery, but uh, they were bought out, I guess, about two years ago, oh. so this stuff might be available in your area. Who'd they get bought out uh, by? What is it? InBev, I okay. believe, is a big big corporation that bought out Budweiser and such and such. And it was kind of a big deal when they bought out um, Carbock here. A lot of people got upset about it. In fact, some bars were uh, having uh, giving away free beers from their last kegs <laughs> of you know, you know, uh, capitalist free Carbock beer, you know, <laughs> and all of that stuff. So, um, but. I found, you know, since the buyout, it's all still here, produced here locally, and the taste hadn't changed. I wouldn't say they're the, like, this isn't the greatest IPA. They're ale in the greatest ale. They're, <laughs> so what you're uh, saying is they made mediocre beer before, and now with Big yeah, One yeah, and no, they still no, make mediocre yeah, beer? No, let, let me finish. Let me finish. And the wheat beer in the greatest wheat beer, but it's all real decent. And um, – <laughs> I find myself going for it. I mean, we got a local uh, convenience store, and about half their beer selection is local craft beers. And probably about half the time, I just pick up Carbach because I know it's going to be a decent beer. Well, you know, I, yeah. I, I can't imagine a more ringing endorsement than that. Hey, there you go. <laughs> decent. <laughs> no, no, it's real decent. Real decent. Real decent. Yeah. Slightly above average. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I'm an idiot. And. My beer choice is the beer bottle that I'm holding in my hands, longingly looking at, but was not able to drink during this recording. Um, it's the Big Alice Brewing uh, Trapel Anniversary. And Big Alice is a microbrew out of Long Island City. They spell Alice with an L-I-C in the middle, um, which I suppose is a traditional way to spell it. But it's a, it's a one pint, 9.4 fluid ounce bottle. So it's one of the bigger bottles. And unlike Allagash and um, Dogfish Head, this big bottle comes with a wine style cork that you can't open with your hands. Hmm. And I don't keep a corkscrew in my shop. So I haven't been able to open the bottle. <laughs> um, I have had it at the brewery and it's a very good uh, triple. Um, it's a little sweet. It's got a nice... Um, Nice subtle flavor mix to it, like you want a triple to have. It's not overly strong, uh, but when you uh, when you buy it, be sure to bring uh, a corkscrew because you will not be able to open it without a corkscrew. I have an idea for your next project: <laughs> <laughs> a corkscrew. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. So, with that, so hopefully, your... hopefully, Paul, you've been able to open yours. Yeah, I, I don't have anything quite that unique. Um, I'm I'm going to recommend uh, Wachusett Blueberry. I, I don't have it in front of me currently, but it's a uh, uh, one of my favorites based out of Massachusetts. And uh, I'm a big fan of, of fruity beers because I'm a, a fruity person, I guess. <laughs> and uh, just one of my favorites out there. They're, uh, they make a few different beers, Wachusett Brewing. Uh, 
and uh, based out of, uh, I want to say, Westminster. It's kind of a north-central Massachusetts. Okay. And uh, they, they, uh, they sell, I think, pretty much in all of New England. Are you able to get it down in D.C.? I haven't found it yet. Um, they're uh, a decent-sized brewery. They're not really a microbrewery. They're kind of somewhere in the middle. Right. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if I saw it around here, but I know definitely it's a big New England thing. Like, you might even be able to get it in Jersey. Why would I go to Jersey for beer? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm sorry. I'm in New York. (laughs) Ah, gotcha, gotcha. Um, You you sound like you're from Jersey. I don't know. (laughs) Something like that. Um, either either I hung out with Tom too much, or I'm offended. I'm not sure which of those two. Things <laughs> <is>. <laughs> um, all right. So, w- with with those uh, delightful choices, hopefully you're able to actually enjoy yourself. Um, Paul, before we start to wrap this up, where can people find more about you online? Sure. Anything. Uh, any social media is Jackman Works. JackmanWorks.com is kind of the hub of everything. And I do uh, most of my stuff on YouTube and also on Instagram. Excellent. Excellent. And you can also physically find me in DC if you're <laughs> looking hard enough. Well, I, I fear that you and I, um, we seem to have the same path crossing issues that I've had with Shannon Rogers for years. He and I thought we were each made up people for the first three or four years. We tried to get together because one of us would always bail at the last minute. Yeah. Um, and, I know we talked about getting together the woodworking shows and the two that you did that I I was in driving distance of stuff came up and I couldn't actually make it. And you were, I don't know, the one in New Jersey is probably about on a Saturday morning. It's about 45 minutes from my house and I was in Virginia. So, um, I don't really believe you're there, but, (laughs) (laughs) uh, it's a good front at least. Yeah, exactly. Nobody wants to come to DC. (laughs) So no, nobody's actually going to verify that. Well, we may have to track you down there. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, Kyle, you think you can get through this section without, um, without Sean's help? You want me to read it? Oh, no. I, I should be able to do it with a little help from my friends. Okay. So, anyway. Well, that just about wraps it up for the show. So, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the show on iTunes or Google Play Music. Just search for the Modern Woodworkers Association. Then you'll never be. Sh- then you'll never miss a show of one of our exciting episodes. And while you're there, please leave us a review. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the MWA podcast. If you like this show, be sure to visit the Modern Woodworkers Association website at modernwoodworkersassociation.com. Follow us at MWA underscore national on Twitter or on Instagram at MWA underscore podcast, because why would we use the same handle for both media? Um, <laughs> the best thing you can do, though, besides following us online, is to just tell a friend, because discussion of the podcast goes a long way in, uh, in sharing things. So with that, I am Diami Plotke of the Penultimate Woodshop and Modern Woodworkers Association. I am at Diami Plotke on the Twitter. Uh, I'm Kyle Barton. You can find me at barton.kyle on Instagram. So hopefully you enjoyed the conversation. Go find the oldest vehicle you can and strap a couple pieces of plywood to the roof.